Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, that it's going to fall on good ground. It's going to bring forth fruit for the kingdom. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for its life-giving effects in our life. And, Lord, we pray today our whole spirit, soul, and body will receive that good seed that's going to fall into good ground and bring forth fruit for your kingdom. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Well, this week, wasn't it this week, Jenna woke up and said, I've got a message for you. And it's Matthew twenty four twenty four. I'm just going to start there. I'll talk about it later, but I'm just going to give this verse as what it triggered from. <clears throat> Matthew twenty four twenty four says, There shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and they shall show signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall see, deceive the very elect. If possible. That was the word, if possible. Now, I got news for you guys. I can't go there yet. If possible. If possible. I'm having to resist going right on to that, but I'm, gonna, I'm not. I'm going to start somewhere else. We'll get there later. <laughs> We're going to start in Matthew, I mean Luke chapter 18. The name of this message is Him Possible. How many of you know with Him all things are possible? It's Him Possible. Luke chapter 18 <clears throat> And we're going to start in verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, Why do you call me good? There is none good save one, that is God. Well, that's a whole message in itself. What good thing must I do? Well, what would Jesus probably have said? Believe. That's what you do. You believe. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. And when Jesus heard these things, he said, yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was sorrowful, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter the kingdom of God? For it's easier for a camel to go through the, eye, the needle's eye than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You know, there's a lot of things that's impossible with man, isn't it? But let's see what he says, and he goes on down here. He says, And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? To them, a camel goes through the eye of a needle. How many of you know that's quite a picture? How many of you have ever seen a needle? It's hard enough to get thread through that needle. But to put a camel through that eye of a needle, that's close to what? Impossible. And so they said, "What? well, who then can be saved? That means nobody can be saved. But here's his answer. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, we've got to start changing our situations from the impossible to the possible. Everything in this world at times looks impossible. Right? Everything in this world, the government, you look at everything going on in this world and you think impossible. But he says the things that are impossible with man are possible with God. I'm telling you, saints, there is not one thing in this whole world that's impossible with God. And it says that I have not seen, ear heard, or entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared or God can do. God can, and you remember one of the things he said, is there, what, anything too hard for me? Anything too hard for me. 
And see, we're bombarded with all kinds of things going on in their life, and we think this is impossible. Yes, it's impossible for man to save his own soul. Jesus said, he that saveth his soul will what? Lose it. But if you just lose your soul, you'll find it. You'll get a new one. And you know, we talk so many times about we got new spirits. But the problem with the church today, too many people are trying to save their old souls, their mind, wills, and their emotions. Don't do this. Don't do that. Do this. Do this. You do all these things and don't do all these things in an effort to save yourself. You know what? It'll never happen. Because with man, that's impossible. You know, if you just knew right up front it's impossible to save yourself, it would save you a lot of time and a lot of trouble. It is impossible to save your own soul by what you do. But it is possible with God because everything he asks of us, he's done for us and freely given it to us in Christ Jesus. It's a matter of just receiving all those things. So we see that there's a lot of things going on in all of our lives. We've all got situations in our lives that we've run into a wall and we just see it as impossible. See, that's the point where we've got to say, God, I know this thing's impossible with me, but it's not impossible with you. And start believing that it's not impossible with him. <clears throat> but we look to the government to change the situation we're in, and how many of you know it's not going to happen? Jeremiah seventeen five says, Cursed is a man that trusts in man, that makes flesh his strength or his arm, and his heart departs from the Lord. And our tendency is to want to go back to trusting ourselves to do something or trusting man. I want to tell you something. Man's not the answer. Amen? Amen. Here in Jeremiah 17, verse... No, we already... I want to to go to another verse. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 30. We've looked at this before, but I like the verse. Isaiah chapter 30. God is kind of rebuking Israel. And it starts here in, in 30, verse 1. Woe to rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that go down to Egypt and have not asked of my mouth, and strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, and trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. And then he goes on down, and look with me in verse 7 says, For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this. Their strength is to sit still. That's, right. That's a powerful verse. I don't know what your version says, but you need the King James here. Your strength comes from what? Sitting still. Be still and know that I am God. How many times do what we really need is to not do something... But what we really need to do is sit still and see the salvation of God. When we sit still, when we work, he rests. When we rest, he works. Now, if you could just get a hold of that. Whenever we try to help him, he'll just sit and let us. But when we quit and let him, he work for us. See, it's totally contrary to what this old soul, this old heart believes. And he goes on down here. Oh, gosh. Verse 12, let's get there. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord, the Holy One, because ye despise this word and trust in oppression, perverseness, and stay thereon. See, he said, you don't want to listen to this. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling high on a wall, whose breaking comes suddenly at an instant. And he shall break, as it were, the potter's vessels that's broken in pieces and shall not spare, 
so that there will not be found in the bursting of, of it a shared to take to the fire from the hearth or to take water with all out of the pit. Now this is verse 15. If you don't have this one circled and flagged and, and outlined and memorized. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall you be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. And you would not. In what? Repentance or returning to me and resting in me shall you be saved. You know what the message Bible says here? It says, won't you quit this silly stuff of trying to save yourselves? Quit this silly thing of trying to save yourself. It don't work. How many of you have tried to save yourself? If you hadn't, you will. But I want to tell you, it doesn't work. But then they said, verse 16, no, we will ride upon horses. We will flee. We will ride upon the swift. And he said, okay, go ahead. Therefore, they that pursue you will be swift. One thousand shall we flee at the rebuke of one, at the rebuke of five shall you flee till you left as a beacon on the top of the mountain and as, or a sign on a hill. But listen to what he says. Therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. Therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are they that wait for him. They that wait for him. See, he'll just sit down and wait. How many of you know he's not in a hurry? How many of you know he doesn't have a watch? He don't have a calendar. He just waits. And he'll let you run just as long as you want to. But he'll be there for you when you decide to quit running and trust in him. So he's saying your strength comes by not what you do, but by trusting in what he's done for you. In Jeremiah, you know, it goes on to say in Jeremiah 17, 5, the heart is deceitful and above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's why it's so imperative to understand the exchange. This old heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. It'll never be anything but deceitful and desperately wicked because it's born of a corruptible seed. But we've been born again of a what? Incorruptible seed. And that's why in Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six, he said, A new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart, and I'll give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my way. Jeremiah 24, 7, I'll give you a new heart to know me. A new heart to what? Know me. See, so it's a new heart. He gives us a new heart. But that old heart, let me tell you something about that old heart. Proverbs fourteen ten says this. The heart, the old heart, knows its own bitterness, and a stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy. The old heart knows its own bitterness, and it doesn't even let a stranger. Sometimes you can be a stranger to your old heart, your own old heart. And it does not allow anyone to intermeddle with its joy. Guess what the word intermeddle means if you look it up? Exchange. The old heart ain't going to exchange its bitterness for anything else. It will not allow an exchange because that's that old heart. You know, we look at that thing in Mark of what we started here. Let's look in Mark. This is the same verse, but there's one other little word I want us to look at in Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, and he's talking to the rich young ruler. And there's one little word that's different here. In verse 21, Jesus, beholding him, loved him, said, One thing you like, go sell what you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come take up your cross and follow me. How many of you know this, this verse in Proverbs said, He that giveth to the poor shall not lack? 
He that lends to the poor gives to the Lord, and that which he gives will be repaid. See, when you give your offerings to someone else, that offering goes straight to heaven. And it's in his place to pay you, not the one you give it to. Sometimes people will give to someone else thinking, well, they'll give me back. But the key is give to those that can't pay you back. Because you give to them, then God's the one that pays you back. How many of you would rather have God to pay you back? Okay. He that giveth to the poor shall not, what? Lack. All right. And then there was a reason he said, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And he was sad, saying he went away grief, for he had great possession. Jesus looking about and said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? They were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered and said, Children, listen to me. How hard is it for those that trust in riches? Trust, what is it? Isaiah 27, verse 3, I think it is. Trust in the Lord. No, it says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because you trust in him. And trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, with all your heart. Lead not to your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Proverbs 17, 5 goes on to say, But blessed is a man that trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. He shall be like the tree planted by rivers of water. And he said, We'll not even be anxious in the year of drought. And we'll even not even notice when drought comes. Because why? His roots is trusting in the Lord. See, that word trust is a big word. How hard is it? How many of you know he doesn't care if you have finances? He doesn't care if you're rich because he wants you to be rich to help others with. But it's a matter of where your trust factor is at. Our government's not our trust factor. Don't get all bent out of shape about Obama. The heart of the king's in the hand of the Lord, and there's rivers of water. He turns it wherever he soever he will. He may have him do things just to see if you're going to react and get aggravated. I won't tell you something. It's working, but I tell you what, right now God's setting up in heaven, and he's not concerned, and he's not a bit upset. So why should you be? Our kingdom's not of this world. He's in charge. So pray for Obama. I think he'd make a good Christian. Matter of fact, he confessed that Jesus is his Lord. This last week, he told everybody that Jesus is his Savior and his Lord. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Where are you going to put that? All right, I rest my case. Just leave him alone. God's well able to take care of him. I want to tell you something. If he's out and we put somebody else in, if you're looking for them to, to save your world, you're in trouble. I don't care who you put in there. It ain't going to happen. There's only one that we can trust. That's why in God we what? Where's that at? It's on your money. Why? Because your money needs it worse than anything else. As long as they'll leave in God we trust on your money, there's hope. Because that's the only place that you can put your trust is in God. Amen? So where do we get to? Oh, those that trust in riches enter the kingdom of God. Those that trust. And he goes on to say, who then can be saved? With men it's impossible, but with God, what? All things are possible. All things. When you put every situation you got, every impossible situation you got right now, when you put it in the hands of God, it's God possible. 
What did he say in James? If you ask anything, nothing wavering. Nothing wavering. So what's the problem? It's the wavering. And where does that come from? That old nasty unbelief. Isn't that right? You know, God said something. Uh, let me, let's look in Isaiah chapter 57. God is wanting us to begin. We, we had a little book by Derek Prince. Does your tongue need a healing? It would probably be good if we just read this book some Sunday up here. Uh, most of us stayed under the coffee table all week over that little book, Does Your Tongue Need a Healing? And there's a reason for that. You know, I, this is the, one of the verses that I think is one of the most powerful verses concerning this. You know, in Isaiah fifty-seven sixteen, well, no. Oh, gosh. Verse 15, part of it down, it says, I dwell in the holy, high and holy place with him that is of a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, neither will I always be wroth. For the spirit should fail before me and the souls which I have made. For the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth and smote him. I hid, it hid, I, I hid me and was wroth, and he went forwardly in the ways of his heart. I have seen his ways and will heal him. What's that? And now, how's he going to heal him? I'm going to give you a new heart. And he says, I will lead him also. I will restore comforts unto him and to his mourners. I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him that is afar off. And to him that is near, saith the Lord, I will heal him. I create the what? Fruit of the lips. Remember what he said to the spies that went in and gave a, a negative report? As they spoken in my ears, so will I do to them. I create the fruit of the lips. But the wicked are like the troubled sea which cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, unto the wicked. There is no what? No peace. Mark chapter 9. You want to know whether you're an old man or the new man? One good way. Do you have peace? There is no peace to the old man. He'll always be looking for it, but he'll never find it. Mark chapter 9. This was the boy that had the unclean spirit and he was crying out to Jesus to help him with his son. And Jesus came to him when he came off the mountain and uh, they were, the Pharisees was contending with his disciples and he said, what, what were they asking you? And this man came up and he said, Master, uh, I have brought to my, verse 17, I brought unto you my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wherever he taketh him, he tears him and foams and gnashes with his teeth and pines away. And I spake to your disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. Now I want you to know something right here. He was not talking to his disciples. He was talking to that bunch that was harassing his disciples. For years, I thought he was chewing out his disciples because they didn't believe. He was not. They, was, they didn't know why this spirit was not coming out. They were bumfounded because they'd gone out casting all devils, and they didn't know. They hit one and said, we don't know what's going on here. And he didn't jump on them because of their lack of faith. He was talking to them that brought him. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tore him, and he fell on the ground wallowing. 
And, and he asked his father, how long since this came on him? And he says, of a child. And oftentimes it cast him into the fire and the water to destroy him. But look what the father says. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. If you can do anything. Did you catch that? Now, Jesus immediately, what did he say? Jesus said, it's not a matter whether I can do anything. It's a matter if you can believe. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believe. Good master, if you can do anything. How many times in our prayer over situations and circumstances that's going on and we say, God, can you do anything here? If you can do anything, help me. His first response was here. It's not a matter if I can do anything. It's a matter of if you can believe. All things are possible if you can just believe. So, so much of the time, we've got our request and everything in the if possibility realm. When he's saying it, he's saying if you can believe. Let's change that up just a little bit. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believe. And straightway, the father of the child cried out with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. What was he saying? Help this unbelief. Help me with this unbelief. And we've all been guilty of unbelief. Nobody's without exception here. Because the reason the children of Israel did not go into the promised land was one thing, unbelief. And we which have believed do enter into that rest. It's a matter of believing that gets you in. It's a matter of unbelief that keeps us out. And the father says, help me with my unbelief. And look what happened. When Jesus saw the people come running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying, and Thou deaf and dumb spirit, I charge you, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out, and he was as one dead insomuch as he said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was coming to the house, his disciple asked him privately, Why could we not cast him out? See, that was a sincere thing. What happened here? Why could we not cast him out? He said unto them, This kind cometh forth by nothing but by prayer. Now, if your version says fasting, it's not in the original Greek. It's only prayer. And what was the prayer? Help my unbelief. Unbelief was the problem. Unbelief. You ain't going to find the word fasting in this verse here. It's prayer. And when the Father says, help my unbelief, that was the key. It's a matter of unbelief. And so we see unbelief is a real issue here. What was the issue with that? If you can believe. Now, I wrote this down. But, you know, if you can believe, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible with God, but our thoughts, well, I'm not God. But 1 John 4, 17 says what? As he is, so are we now in this present world. So there's a problem here in our believing system. You know, there's, there's one thing. We see that John G. Lake said something. The secret of Christianity is it's supernatural from start to finish. Now, we want to start in the supernatural and get saved, but then we want to make it a natural thing the rest of our life. Christianity is supernatural from start to finish. Nothing natural about it. It is all supernatural. To move in the supernatural, you have to believe. And what keeps us from believing? Unbelief. So it's a problem there. Now, Jesus said what? Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, what? Shall you do? 
Also, in greater works shall you do because I go to the Father and I'm going to be right there interceding in your behalf. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, I'll do it. So he says, greater works are you going to do. So why are not we doing the greater works? Mostly because of unbelief. And Mark says, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall cast out devils and they'll do all these things. And so we see here, when Jesus went to his own hometown and he, he was preaching and, and he opened up the book and he was reading Luke, Luke 4.18, Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He said, is not this the carpenter's son? What is this? Who does he think he is? And you remember it says also that he could do no mighty miracles or works in his own hometown because of their what? Because of their unbelief. Now, what did he do immediately? Now, I want you to read that. The very next thing he did when he said because of their unbelief, he went about in all the villages teaching, teaching. Why teaching? Faith comes by what? Hearing by the word of God. But you've got to be in a position to hear. Deaf and dumb spirit, you can't hear. He went about teaching. That's the cure for unbelief is what? The word of God. Faith comes by what? Hearing the word of God. If you can believe. Mm. You know, I thought I wrote that verse down, but I didn't write that down. I knew he put it in my heart. But when he went to his own hometown, he went about all the villages teaching and doing signs and wonder. In Luke 177, it says that he's come to give the knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Knowledge is the key to unbelief. Now, we're not talking about worldly knowledge. We're talking about godly knowledge. Godly knowledge is the key to dealing with unbelief. Knowledge is to know something experientially. Not just a theory, but reality, the truth. Amen? Romans 10, verse 1, Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Going about to establish what? And he says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal, but not according to what? Knowledge. If you continue in my word, then you shall know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. It's a matter of knowledge. Why did Paul pray in Ephesians 1? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know something. What? That you may know. You may know. Uh, I want to look at just a few verses. I just wrote the verses down. I'm not even sure what some of them says. It's a matter of what? Knowing. It's a matter of knowing something. In John, we'll just start with John 19. Uh, Verse 28, after Jesus, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, Jesus knew something. Jesus knowing, what was it? Knowing that every prophetic word that had been spoken against him for him in the place of suffering had been fulfilled. Knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, this last one, he said, I thirst. 
Now there was set a vessel of vinegar full of, before him. It was put on a hyssop and put in his mouth. Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar. He said what? It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. You know the interesting thing here? Most people, when they give up the ghost, then they bow their head. Jesus, it's finished. He bowed his head. Then he gave up the ghost. You see a difference there? Why? No man took his life. I have power to let down. I have power to take it up. He gave up the ghost. They didn't take it from him. He gave it up. He bowed his head. But see, he knew something there. Romans 6, 6. I think that and says, knowing this, what? That our old man was crucified with Christ. You got to know something, that the body of sin might be destroyed. 2 Corinthians, you got to see the knowing. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. No, that's 4, 4. 1 Corinthians 1, 7. He says, talking about them, that, uh, verse 7, Our hope of you is steadfast, knowing, what? That as you are partakers of the suffering, so shall you also be of the consolation. Did Paul have a revelation of knowing something there? Knowing what? That as, as the suffering, you're partakers of his suffering, so will you also be of the consolation. Wasn't well, that in Romans we said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. You've got to know something. See, it still comes back to the fact that we need to know something. In 2 Corinthians 4, while we're here, he said in verse 12 here in 4, So death works in us, but life in you. We have in the same spirit of faith. According as written, I believe and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore we speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us, us, us up also by Jesus and shall pre- present us with you. Knowing something. See, it's important that we know through the word what it says. Well, there's many more. But one of the, I'll just use this last one, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, uh, 34. And I'm not preaching on this. The last time I preached on this verse, I preached one Sunday morning and we left for the mountains Monday morning. And on the way up there, I looked in the rearview mirror and my camper was blazing on fire. So I'm not preaching on this verse anymore. But I just want to tell you what it says. He talks about called remembrance after you were illuminated and you got saved and you went through a great fight of affliction in verse 34. How we just made a gaze and stop from Verse 34, For you had compassion on me and my bonds, and you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves. Listen, you can't take joyfully the spoiling of your goods if you don't know something. You've got to know something. And what you know is that in yourselves that you have a, in heaven a better and more enduring substance. So don't cast away your confidence. I'm telling you, when I looked in that rearview mirror and I saw that blaze in this scripture came to me, you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. I want to tell you something. I didn't say a word to Jenna, but she had the same spirit on her. When we watched the camper burn up and we got my truck free from it, we were sitting around watching it, and this lady come up and patted it on the back, said, Hun, right now you're in shock, but after a while you'll, you'll, you know, it'll affect you. 
And we laughed about it all the way home. I'm telling you, we had perfect peace about the whole thing burning to the ground. Now, you don't know how you're going to react to you in that situation. But I want to tell you something. When you are, you know something. And that's the key to unbelief, is knowing something. And you know what he says. It doesn't matter with man what man says. What it matters is what does God say. That's the key to unbelief. Oh, thank you, Lord. Romans eleven thirty three says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past founding out. 1 Corinthians 1, 5, Paul went on to say that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. In all what? Knowledge. You know, the, the Corinthian bunch... He says, you come behind in no knowledge. You understand the foundation. You may be acting like an old man and lacking like a heathen and doing all these things, but they came behind in no gift. They had everything working. Why? They had a knowledge of what it had worked. They still got in the old man. But there's a knowing that he said they came behind. They, they understood it. And that's what we needed. So he went about teaching. Uh, a prophet is without honor, but where? In his own country, in his own hometown, among his own kin. You know where your, your own house? Where is your own house? Do you know what? That old man inside of you is the biggest enemy you got to keep you from believing. He's at enmity against God. He's not subject to God, never will be. And the biggest enemy you got to believing is your old man. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. That old man does not honor or respect your new man. And you know what? It can't. Because the Bible said it indeed cannot. So, that's what, that's what he said happened to him. Scripture says in Romans 10, let's go to Romans 10. We're going to have communion here in a minute. I hadn't forgot. Romans 10. Verse 9 says, If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, what? Confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. For there's no difference between the Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is rich over all who call upon him. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be what? Okay. But let's go on now. How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of him that preaches the gospel of peace that bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. What is this verse? They've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, who hath believed their report? Isaiah 53 is the gospel. Isaiah 53 is the gospel. With it, both spirit, soul, body, all three are covered. But he says, how can they believe if they don't what? Hear. 
And you can't believe unless you hear the whole report of Isaiah 53, the gospel of what he's done for you. And then what happens? So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'm telling you, I have asked hundreds over the years. They say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Okay, so the so then is in reference to the verse before that. What does it say? I don't have a clue. But it's in relationship to the verse before. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word is in reference to the verse before. What does it say? I don't know. Isaiah says, Who hath believed their report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, a root out of dry ground. He has no comeliness or beauty that you desire him. And he says, what is it? it goes on, that whole chapter. And then so faith comes by believing the report of what Jesus did for us. So it's demonic. Faith doesn't come unless you know something. You've got to know something. Faith can only come by knowing something. Knowing what he's done for you. Oh, man. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about the great people of faith. Verse 13 says, these all died in faith. They all what? Died in faith. Not having received the promise, but having seen the promise afar off. And they were persuaded of that promise. They embraced that promise. And they even confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. What was they doing? They was confessing a promise that was given them. They never saw the reality, but they believed it. They embraced it. They confessed it. But they never got it because they didn't mix faith with it. But you know what it says? But if they had been mindful, if their mind had been full of the country they had come out of, they would have had an opportunity to return. Oh, man. You get your mind full of who you were instead of who you are, you'll have an opportunity to go back. But they're seeking a better country with better promises. And it says in Second Peter chapter 1, according to his divine promises, has given us everything that pertains to godliness through the knowledge. Through the what? Knowledge. Through the knowledge of him that created us in righteousness and true holiness. It's a matter of knowing who we are. You know, one of the things it says in Matthew 24, it says they'll rise false prophets and false teachers that shall deceive many. Do you know what it means to be a false prophet and a false teacher? It means that you're operating out of what God called you to walk in. You're not operating in your gifting. You're operating outside of that gifting. And any time you start walking outside of your gifting, you're going to lead people into deception. Many shall be deceived, it says. There will be false prophets and false teachers that will deceive many with signs and wonders. But when you become a false prophet, it's only because or false anything else because you're operating outside of what God's called you to operate in. So. And then it says, there will rise false prophets, prophets, the one we started with, and false Christ. And they will show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it was possible, they would deceive the very elite. You know why it says it's impossible? If possible? I'll tell you why. Because that which is born of God cannot sin. Let me say it again. First John says, that which is born of God, your new man, cannot sin. 
For you to sin, you have to go back to who you were, not who you are. You're looking back to the old country. So it ain't possible for your new man to sin. Ain't possible. Say impossible. impossible. It is not possible for your new man to sin. But it says he would deceive the very elite if possible. First Peter 5.8 says the devil, First Peter 5.8, the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may, what? Devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing what? The same things that he's trying to pull on you, he's trying to pull on all the rest of the brethren. But the God of all peace, after you've what? Suffered for a little while, make you perfect, established, strengthened, and settled. But what? You've got to know something. See, the key to unbelief is knowing something. Say it. key to unbelief is knowing something. It's godly knowledge. You remember right after Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, Peter, flesh and blood didn't give you that. It wasn't five minutes later. Peter said, when he said, I'm going to be lifted up. No, no, you're not going to be lifted up. And he turned to Peter and he said, Satan, he's talking to Peter, get thee behind me. For you savor us not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. So this is coming out of your old man, Peter. This ain't your new man. You know, that's when he said, Simon, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. After you've converted and come back to your new man, strengthen your brethren. But you know what? I think it's interesting. He didn't say, Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to have you. He said, Simon. What does Simon represent? Oh, Peter. Peter is the new man that got the revelation. Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you. That's weak. But after you come back to Peter, strengthen your brother. Oh, you remember Jesus said in John fourteen thirty, the prince of this world, and he finds nothing in me. Listen, we're the body of Christ and members one of another, and we have the mind of Christ. Everything he's given us, Satan cannot touch. The only access Satan has into our lives is through the old man through who we were, not who we are. Now, if we really believe that, how many of you know we'd be walking in a different place? So it's time for us to what? Believe. How are we going to believe? Faith comes by what? And hearing by the word of God. It's exciting what's ahead.